entitled The Gravity of Another World. And today we're going to be in the 25th chapter of the book of Matthew as we study together. So you might want to find that passage of scripture in Matthew 25. Also, there is a study guide in your bulletin. If you'd like to follow along, fill in the blank, that would be great. The gravity of another world. But gravity is determined by two things, mass and distance. Now, we looked a little bit at the mass. The larger an object is in space, the greater gravitational pull it will have. The earth has greater gravitational pull than the moon. But the sun has greater gravitational pull than either the earth or the moon. The mass of the body. The bigger the kingdom of God becomes in your heart and mind, the stronger the gravitational pull will become. Now, some of us don't give a rip for the kingdom of God. We really don't care about it because it's so small in our minds. We don't think about it. We don't give time to it. If the kingdom of God is small, there is very little gravitational pull in that direction. All the pull is coming from the other direction. But the bigger the kingdom of God becomes in your heart and mind, the stronger the gravitational pull will become. That's amazing. But second, the distance. Distance is also a factor. Gravitational force is proportional to mass, but it varies at the inverse of the square of the distance. You got that right? Let me put that in English. When you move half the distance to the kingdom, the gravitational pull quadruples. When you half the distance, the gravitational pull becomes four times as strong. Consequently, the gravitational pull of the world becomes four times weaker. Every time you half the distance to the kingdom, the gravitational pull of the things of God will quadruple in your life. Now, do you suppose that that is what the Bible means when the author, James, in the New Testament says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Now, unfortunately, that works in the other direction too. When you move away from the kingdom of God, the pull lessens at a factor of four. The gravitational pull of the world increases four times. The closer you get to the kingdom, the stronger the gravitational pull of God is. Now, that is amazing. But if that is true, here is the most important question. And the question that you need to ask is this. What can I do to intentionally reduce this distance and increase the gravitational pull of God in my life? Is there anything that I can do? Now imagine the space shuttle taking off at Cape Kennedy over on the East Coast. Some of you have probably seen the takeoff. There are three rockets that are attached to the space shuttle. And they are there for one reason. To break the gravitational pull of the earth. They are solid fuel rocket boosters that blast off the spaceship and then fall away to the earth. You've seen that happen, haven't you? 
the reason for all that power, all of that thrust, is because they know that it takes power to break the grip of gravity of the earth. Now, the same is true in your spiritual life. God has given us three boosters. I want you to notice three boosters that God has given us. Number one is celebration. Celebration. Your life in Christ is powered first by celebration. Celebration is the spiritual discipline of personal and corporate worship. You meet the Lord every day. Maybe you meet Him in your car when you're driving and you listen to Christian music and you sing along and that music means something to you. You meet God every day. But you also meet Him on Sunday. What you, begin, what you do in here is so important to your spiritual life. I don't know whether you realize, of course, Christina does a great job leading worship. The whole praise team does. Last week, the girl that led worship was 15 years old. Did you know that? You did. Well, that's good. You knew more than I did. I was looking at her hand, you know, thinking, oh, I wonder if she's married. Well, she didn't have a, a ring on. You know what? It's a good thing she's not. It's illegal. Fifteen years old. And you didn't sacrifice a whole lot in anything. But that worship service last week. You have a great team of worship leaders in this church. But let me tell you, what you are doing today in worship when you sing, you, this is choir practice. You are only practicing here for what happens over there. I don't know whether you realize that or not. But you ought to. We are practicing every Sunday that we meet together. Now, when you begin to activate that booster in your life every weekend, not once a month, not twice a month, but every Sunday, you'll feel that booster surge you forward in spiritual life. Number two is community. Community. Community has to do with your involvement in some group at the church. When you get involved in a small group, whether it's a Bible school class or a men's group, or a ladies' group, there will be a second booster that will blast off in your spiritual life, and you will surge forward. And two things will happen. The church will shrink. The larger church will shrink. And second, you'll choose to do life with a group of people. You'll have a circle of friends, and it will give a boost to your spiritual life. Did you hear about the farmer who entered his mule in the Kentucky Derby? A farmer entered his mule in the Kentucky Derby. And somebody said, you don't expect him to win, do you? The farmer said, no, but I think the association may be helpful for him. You know, and that's what small groups do in the church for our lives. The association does us some good. Third, contribution. This is where you shift the flow of investment in your life from the world and you reverse that priority and you make investments in the kingdom of God. Now you do this in a variety of ways. You give your time to the kingdom. Love, enthusiasm, service, money. Serving is a huge source of spiritual, li- of spiritual power in the life of any 
follower of Christ. So I want us to look at Matthew, the 25th chapter, beginning at verse 14. Now, you probably know this whole story, and you may not even need to turn to the passage. But the Bible says, Jesus is speaking, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once, put his money to work, gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, Jesus told this story. He told this story to boost the faith of people like you and me. And there are some big ideas about the strategic power of serving in this story. First of all, we need to serve because we have been gifted by God. The Bible is realistic. It is not necessarily politically correct, but it is realistic. In this story, three servants, one was given what? Five. One was given two. One was given one. Now, this story is not American story. This is Jesus' story. But if Jesus was an American, what would he do? He, and he had eight talents to give out. He would give three to one. He would give three to another. He'd go to the bank and borrow one so that he could give three to the other one because we know that everybody is created equal. But you know, that's not true. Everybody is not created equal, are they? In, in a sense, they're not. We don't have the same talent. We don't have the same ability. We don't, we're not all equally creative. We're not equally knowledgeable. We have varying degrees of ability and uh, artistic uh, desire. Uh, we're different athletically. Yet everybody is given something from the master. In 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, verse 10, Peter says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in his various forms. Now, Peter wrote that to the church in Asia and to this church. Now, there are several things that I want you to notice. First of all, everybody has received a gift. Every one of us have, have received a gift. And you call them spiritual gifts because you receive it when you become a Christian. They are not innate talents. They are spiritual gifts. It doesn't say some Christians have some. It doesn't say maybe you'll get one. It says if you're a Christian, you have already received a spiritual gift and sometimes several of them. Second, you didn't earn that gift. You didn't earn this gift. You don't have to pray for it. You don't generate it yourself. This was a gift given to you by God when you were saved so that you could serve other people. It is an expression of God's grace in your life. And third, there are various expressions of the gift that God has given. We serve the Lord in different ways. In Romans, the 12th chapter, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. 
If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, teach. If it is encouraging, encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, give generously. If it is leadership, govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, do it cheerfully. Now here are seven gift categories. The first is prophesying. It is a proclaiming gift. When somebody has the ability to understand and relate truth in a compelling way. You know some people that are able to do that. People in this church who teach, who lead. Second, serving is a helping gift. The ability to see a need and do something about it. That's a gift. Not everybody has the gift of serving. But what we're talking about here is somebody who sees a need and he or she knows what to do about it. They answer that need themselves. They don't go tell the preacher, well, somebody has a need. It's your job to take care of it. No, they see the need and they take care of it. Teaching is an explaining gift. People can explain in a clear and compelling way. Encouraging is a motivating gift. This is an ability to to move people to action. When some people try to get you to do something, they will walk up to you and talk to you, and you will hear what they have to say and wait patiently for them to get done, and when they get done talking, you walk off. But some people can ask you to do some really hard things And you do it. There's a difference, isn't there? Some people just have a knack to be able to motivate you to do something and others don't. Contributing is a resourcing gift. Leadership is a directing gift. This is the ability to lead a team and mobilize them to accomplish some great purpose. Mercy is a comforting gift. The ability to empathize with people who are suffering and be a comfort to them now in the space program when the boosters surge and go from stage to stage i don't know whether you remember that or not but they go from stage to stage and there is what is called a sonic boom remember that a boom that happens and you'll hear it once or twice in in these uh uh, space liftoffs And that's what you can expect in your spiritual life when you figure out what your spiritual gift is and you put it to work. Every Christian is called to serve wherever needed. We need you to set up chairs. We need you to take down tables. We need you to wash dishes. But when you purpose to serve in an area where you are gifted and passionate about, the boost will occur in your life. Now, you show me some crabby, critical complaining Christian sitting around crabbing all the time and I will guarantee you that they're not serving they're not investing their lives in the kingdom and they're not contributing and that's the reason why they're so stinking crabby but you get yourself serving in an area where you are gifted and passionate about it there is joy now Max Lucado calls it your sweet spot you've heard of a sweet spot And in one of his books, Max Lucado described that sweet spot. 
every golf club, every tennis racket has a sweet spot. Every baseball bat has a sweet spot. And Max says it is that tiny acreage, that square inch, that choice territory on the golf club or the baseball bat or the tennis racket that the engineer designed for you to make contact. Now, when you hit the ball on the sweet spot of the club, the ball explodes, doesn't it? Puts a strut in your step. You puff your shoulders out, your chest out. When you miss the sweet spot, guess what? Your arm kind of tingles, doesn't it? The ball goes in directions it's not supposed to go in. You have to watch your language. Nothing is worse when you don't hit your sweet spot. And nothing is better when you do. When you're doing things for the Lord in His church that really make a difference, there will be a boost in your life. Second, we need to serve because it's expected by God. Look at chapter 25, verse 19. The Bible says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Now, the master, we know who he represents. Jesus did not interpret this parable for us, but we know who the master represents. And the reckoning, well, that's God. He has expectations. And the first thing that's going to happen when you see God is he's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? And you're going to answer that question. Now, two of the three individuals in this story couldn't wait to answer that question. They looked forward to it. They got busy. They doubled the investment. And the point of this story is, the point of the story, this story, story of the talents that we have read and studied over and over again is this. God has made an investment in your life. And he expects to reap a profit. Don't you think that's what this parable means? God has made an investment in your life and he expects to reap a profit. Verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. Now all three had the same instructions. All three were gifted. All three made a choice. Two invested wisely and experienced joy. It was exciting. But one chose to just bury his gift. But remember, for us, Peter said, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You know what the barrier is, the biggest barrier is, to using your talent, whatever your talent is. And I don't care who you are. The biggest barrier is fear. Fear. We fear 
A number of things, actually. First of all, there's a fear of a long-term commitment. What if I agree to serve kids and I don't like it? What if I have to be away for the weekend? Now, one of the ways you discern where your gifts are is to experiment. If you try something and you don't like it, guess what? You don't have a gift for that. Try something else. If you join a team and there's not a fit, then serve the time that you promised to serve. And then when you're done, find something else. If you're in a ministry and it's killing you, guess what? It's probably killing everybody else too. (laughs) So we'll give you an early out. We'll cut you a break. You can try something else. Second, there is not only a fear of long-term commitment, there's also a fear of failure. Don't we fear failure? We don't want to be losers. We don't want to be failures. The one-talent man, that was his problem. He was afraid of failure. And so he went and he buried his talent. Louis Armstrong, the late black jazz musician, Noted for his gravelly singing voice. Do you remember Louis Armstrong? He related that when he was a boy, his Aunt Hattie Mae sent him down to the river with a bucket to get a bucket of water. But just about the time that he was dipping that bucket and retrieving the water, an alligator splashed nearby and Louis Armstrong threw that bucket in the air and he ran as fast as he could back to the house. Well, his aunt chastised him for not accomplishing the task. And she said, now you go back there and you just remember that alligator is just as much afraid of you as you are afraid of him. And Louis Armstrong said, Aunt Hattie Mae, if that alligator is just as much afraid of me as I am of him, that water ain't fit to drink. If you live in fear, you're not going to be able to accomplish the task. There's also a fear of new experiences. If you have never done something before and you do it for the first time, there is that fear that sets in. But courage is not the absence of fear. It's being afraid and doing it anyway. Elmer Towns told about a member of a motorcycle gang who was converted to Christ dramatically. And the first Sunday... After his conversion, he did the only thing he knew to do. He went to church. Nobody in church knew him. He walked down the aisle. He sat in the second row of the church building. The people stared at him because he looked the part. Big, burly, bearded, black leather jacket, tattoos. But he had been converted. At announcement time, the preacher got up and he made an appeal for nursery workers. He said, we really need some people to help in the nursery today. We've got some, some uh, holes to fill. Uh, could we have somebody to work in the nursery to volunteer? Nobody volunteered. The preacher made another announcement, came back to that original one. He said, we really need somebody to work in the nursery today. The cyclist didn't know what to do. He, he sort of prayed right where he was he said lord i want to do whatever you want me to do if you want me to volunteer to work in the nursery i'll uh, just ask another th- if you ask a third time through that preacher i'll help in the nursery well the preacher made another couple of announcements and then came back to that announcement and said please we need somebody 
to work in the nursery. And the cyclist raised his hand and headed for the nursery. And immediately, 50 mothers followed, volunteering to work in the nursery that day. When you use your gift, it will inspire other people to use their gifts too. You may not even be aware of how influential you are. The most strategic place where you can serve is in children's ministry in the church. Perhaps the most meaningful place where you can serve is in the children's ministry in the church. I have a little two-year-old, three-year-old grandson, and I mean, he looks forward every Sunday to see Mr. Vaughn and Mr. Mary. Now, Mr. Mary isn't a mister, but that's what he calls them, Mr. Vaughn and Mr. Mary. And it means so much. Mr. Vaughn owns a manufacturing company, but this little three-year-old looks forward every Sunday, every week to see those people. They mean so much to him. Third, we want to serve because we're accountable to God. Now, Jesus ends this story by describing the rewards for the servants who faithfully obey the master. And he says these words, every one of us wants to hear when we die. The master said to the five-talent man who doubled his, the two-talent man who doubled his, well done, good and faithful servant. Serving is not a pain. If you love your master, it's a privilege. We don't have to do this. We get to do this. That's the kind of ability that is on the uh, accountability that is on the horizon for every one of us. Because our master is going to come back. Jesus promised, I will come back. But those who are most rewarded in heaven won't be the ones who were most rewarded on earth. It'll be the ones who have served the most. Jesus said the last will be first. And I think he was hinting that those who are the most rewarded in heaven will be the ones who served the most. They will receive far more than any preacher, any elder. It's the person who serves. People Magazine, February the 20th, 2006, said that on a hot July evening in 1999, Penny Brown had the night off from her nursing job in the intensive care unit and was watching her son's Little League game. During that game, the 11-year-old bat boy, Kevin Stefan, was accidentally struck in the chest with a bat and collapsed. As Kevin's terrified parents watched helplessly, Penny rushed onto the field and discovered that Kevin's heart had stopped beating. She pounded on his chest. She began CPR. Now, amazingly, Kevin's heart responded and he survived. Perhaps that life-altering episode inspired him to learn first aid. In any case, Kevin received training in life-saving as a Boy Scout and then as a junior firefighter. Now, fast forward a few years. 17-year-old Kevin was working as a part-time dishwasher at the Hillview Restaurant in Depew, New York, when he noticed a woman choking. Drawing on his first aid training, he administered the Heimlich maneuver and two quick thrusts later dislodged a piece of meat 
flew out of her mouth. Kevin's mom was eating lunch at the restaurant that day and recognized the lady, Penny Brown, the nurse who had saved her son's life seven years earlier. When you serve, when you serve, you'll be paid back. Maybe not as dramatically as this, but you'll be paid back. In fact, when Jesus said, the last will be first, in the verse before that, in the two gospel accounts, Jesus said, those who serve will be awarded a hundredfold. I'm not sure about that percentage, but it's pretty big. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the opportunity that we have had today to worship you, to open your word, to sing, to lift up our hearts in worship, but to open your word also and study about the gravitational pull that occurs when we serve in your kingdom, when we serve through the ministry of the church. And I pray that every single person who's here today either is involved in a ministry serving or will sign up We'll find somebody who was at that ministry fair a couple weeks ago and commit themselves to serving to make this church the best it can be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you're not a Christian and you would like to yield your heart and your life to Christ, steps are pretty simple. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. Now, I've heard some roofers confess on the roof, confess, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about naming Jesus as Lord of your life. Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll perish. And Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized will be saved. So it's pretty clear to confess what we believe in our heart, be baptized into Christ. If you've not obeyed him in this matter, then uh, I can't offer you assurance. And the scriptures don't offer you assurance unless you've obeyed the conditions of pardon, obeying the gospel of Christ. If you've obeyed that gospel and you'd like to unite with this congregation, we invite you to do that. You don't need to be baptized because you've already obeyed the gospel. If you have a decision on your heart or you need to pray with somebody, we invite you to come today.